The TCG Design Theory Podcast is part of the Booster Pack Network. For more TCG-related content, visit theboosterpacknetwork.com. Hosting for this show is sponsored by Category 1 Games, the go-to shop for all of your classic TCG needs. Find your favorites or discover something new at Category1Games.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the TCG Design Theory Podcast. My name is Jay, and today we're going to be talking about designing trading card games without combat. So non-combat trading card games and what goes into that process. And today I have Mike Taylor. He's the project lead and co-creator of the Animal Kingdom TCG. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Nice to meet you, Jay. Thanks for having me around. So this is a a bit of an interesting topic because I interviewed... um, a, another creator with Cryptic about, um, you know, uh, Tanner, who was, you know, the topic was specifically combat. Um, and then now we're going to be talking about things other than combat. So it should be interesting to, to kind of, you know, balance those two things and see, you know, what we can what we can kind of come to. So, um, but first and foremost, if you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got started in game design and what interested you in specifically designing a trading card game. Uh, well, my name is Mike Taylor. Um, I run an LGS. You can probably see from behind me that I've got a load of rubbish behind me. Um, I've been interacting with trading card games pretty much my whole life. Like I think most people who are interested in them, I started playing Magic, first of all. Uh, that would have been depressing to think, probably 23, 24 years ago now at this point. Uh, when I was younger, Pokemon had just come out around the same time as well, so I quickly got into that. And then Yu-Gi-Oh! was the other one that was also sort of just creeping in a few years later. Uh, so I got into the big three pretty quickly. And ever since then, I've just been playing trading cards as one of my main hobbies ever since. Uh, collecting as well, because I'm a horrible magpie when it comes to that. Um, as for designing a trading card game, uh, it was a pretty recent thing. Uh, I've been playing them forever. So, you know, I've had kind of ideas on things I've liked, things I haven't liked with trading card games. Um, there are some that do pretty unique things, some that sort of follow the same almost set menu that all of the others have. Um, And just as a, because I run my own gaming nights here, Um, we've got a lot of players who play other trading card games, um, but occasionally on the casual nights, people look for new things to do. I've introduced a lot of trading card games to people here, like, you know, your Bushy Road lot from the Japanese ones, and some of the newer, smaller ones, I say smaller, Keyforge isn't exactly small now, but you know, the ones that have been released over here. Uh, You know, people have liked things, people haven't liked things. there was a period of time six-ish years ago now uh, where there wasn't really anything new coming out. People were starting to drop off of Weisschwartz um, and we wanted something new to play. Uh, so me and a friend who had just moved close by, uh, actually the other co-creator of the game, uh, Dullahan, um, we decided we wanted to play something, but nothing quite fit the bill of what we wanted. Um, and that was the sort of first steps towards designing what is now Animal Kingdom. At the time, it was a very different game. It still has a lot of the DNA of what makes the game what it is now. Um, there was no combat from the very beginning, but the years of sort of working on it and uh, building up to what it is now has taught us the challenges that come when you don't want to abide by the traditional have combat in your game, try and kill your opponent approach. Um, and it's been interesting doing so. Um, not many other card games tend to do that. Most of them tend to be the you have a life total or you have some things on your side and your aim is to destroy the opponent's ones. Um, so it was fun trying to think of an alternative route that wasn't just that challenging, but fun. Because you know, if it's not if it's easy, it's not going to be too fun, is it? So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like that's a lot of um, that's a lot of what people tell me in, in terms of like design. They they kind of get into design because they're trying to fill a hole with where they, you know, they see other games lacking and, and the things that they would want to improve. Um, but I find it interesting that you say that the Animal Kingdom uh, TCG didn't have combat from the beginning. So is that something that, you know, you were seeing just kind of getting fatigued by with all these other games? Just, you know, it seems like it's the same thing over and over and you wanted something different, um, you know, even more different than some of the wild mechanics you see in, you know, some of these card games. Uh, from the east and west or is it is it was it specifically like i just don't want this specific thing um being combat and you know like directly attacking your opponent um 
when we started designing the game, it was before the sort of um, start of the boom of the indie TCGs that's been around for a few years now. Um, as they're talking like six, almost seven years ago at this point. Um, so if you weren't playing like the big three as they were over here um, or any of the sort of Bushy Road slash Eastern games that were coming out, there wasn't really much else around and all of those were very combat focused. Uh, not having combat was something we did want because every game I was introducing at the shop and trying pretty much had that as the thing. And it, it's not that it always gets really samey because a lot of them do it in a very different way and you can... You know, you can mix up combat in a lot of ways or you can sort of disguise it as something else that makes it feel different and all the other mechanics in the game can draw it into a different way than just, you know, attack your opponent and kill them. Um, but, you know, not having combat feels very, very different to that. Um, as well as the game itself, like, um, it was also sprung from the sort of the lore and the story behind it. Um, Dullahan's very creative in, like, an artistic and storytelling sense and uh, she had, like, an idea of like a setting, like a world and some sort of world building stuff she wanted to do. And building your own city was a big part of it. So we thought we could adapt that into like the setting for the game. Um, so it's always been build your city up and you are the mayor of the city. Um, obviously building up your city, you could take it the route of destroy your opponent's cities whilst you're at it. Um, but we didn't want that because the world setting was very much lots of bad stuff had happened in the world. It was recovering from a very like horrible time. So the last thing people wanted to do was then go straight back to war, straight back to combat, straight back to destroying one another. So instead the focus is on uh, building up your own, um, like your own city's renown to a certain point and everyone's racing to achieve a goal rather than racing to kill one another. Um, so it was sort of like that approach to the world that the game is set in being kind of more peaceful led us to go, well, combat doesn't really fit it. So what can we do otherwise? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because the, the whole premise of, you know, competitive card games and even to an extent, cooperative card games um, is you have to have, well, there has to be some sort of conflict. There has to be some sort of problem that needs solving. You need to get to this many points or you need to reduce your opponent to this many points. Um, so, you know, the game's, are going to have conflict and they're going to have, um, you know, competition. So when we talk about combat, what specifically, in your opinion, uh, defines combat in a card game um, and, and what separates combat from general conflict in a card game? Uh, it's difficult. When you say, I say it's difficult, when you look at it very simply, combat, you tend to think of as being like, um, you know, you've got cards or whatever it is in your game and they'll have statistics and you use those to attack your opponent uh, the focus of most games is to defeat your opponents or your opponent's things so combat will be what you do to sort of kill them and the cards you use um, but sort of when you think about it combat is like the game's way of forcing you and the other players to interact with one another um, outside of combat uh most games have sort of like optional interaction combat is usually a game's way of driving you towards victory um, in a method that forces you and your opponents to interact you know if you're attacking your opponents and they aren't blocking then you know you're going to win so they are forced into a situation where the interaction happens because they don't want to lose immediately um, and outside of like combat most games don't have tons and tons of forced interaction it's all kind of optional you think of magic you think of instance and sorceries and other things like that that doesn't necessarily force your opponent to interact unless you're playing like burn or something like that then they have to kind of counter it but um combat's the big place like that's where everything comes to a head and you or your opponent clash directly um so i would say that combat really is just the forced point is the mechanism that forces players to interact with one another um, more so than just being a thing that has attack or a thing that has defense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was going to ask this just like a little, you know, as the question after this next one, but uh, that kind of that kind of leads into, um, you know, you saying combat kind of forces players to interact. You know, it's like if I attack you and you don't block, then you're just going to lose the game. So you have to block or however the mechanics end up going. Um, but since it's often the primary mechanic in card games for players to interact um, because, you know, there's a whole phase that's like, hey, we're going to do this thing and then we move on to the next turn. Um, how do you create those meaningful interactions, um, as you say, in other card games that are optional? Um, how do you 
design and create those interactions to where players are not only wanting to do those things, but um, are, are encouraged to do those things through the game's design. That was one of the big issues that we had from like the earliest days of making the game. Um, it took us or well, quite a while to pinpoint the sort of adventurer quest system that we've got at the moment. Um, it's always been you build up to a goal and you race the other mayors to do so. Um, but initially, we only had buildings and like your stratagems that could interact with the opponent. Um, and it played very, you know, there was the lack of interaction. We, we sort of patched that up by making sure all the buildings had some interactive element. They all had effects on them, but without some kind of system to force players into like one another's way, there were real issues where you could potentially just build decks that, you know, played solitaire and you didn't have to worry about what your opponent was doing. You just had to worry and hope they weren't going to stop you doing what you were doing. Um, and we, we looked at games like Keyforge was the only one around at the time that had the build to a goal rather than kill your opponent thing. Um, and it didn't have like the perfect solution that we wanted for that. So we sort of like, we're like, right, what can we do instead then? Um, and it sort of, it took us a while to think of something that kind of had the, you do something and the opponent has to, or doesn't have to, can optionally come in and stop you, but it's in their benefit too, that wasn't attacking them. Um, and, you know, we went back and forth with a few different iterations of, it wasn't quests before, it was like some other things that I'm not going to talk about because they didn't end up going very well. Um, but eventually we sort of felt back on the like the lore and the world setting and where it's a very like sort of sci-fi fantasy-esque setting, questing, adventures, like all that seemed very natural. So we started off with that. Um, and then, you know, it was originally you, you have quests and you send your um, your people on, your adventurers on to do them. Um, but again, without the interactive element from the opponents, apart from them maybe be able to use stratagems to interrupt you, it still wasn't particularly, like, you know, you didn't have to interact with it. It was kind of solitary. Um, when we came to the the point where we thought, oh, why can't we make it so that the quests are kind of like a quest board you'd see at a tavern, that kind of thing. Anyone can see them, anyone can go on them. And then when you're going on them, other people can decide to also want to go on it. And then you have like a contest between to see who is going to be the one to do the quest. Um, it was different enough from combat. You're not sending anyone out to fight each other. It's just whoever's the most competent party is the one who's going to do the thing. You're not attacking your opponent directly, but if your opponent doesn't stop you from doing your quests, you're going to be the one to like gain the rewards faster. So it's in their best interest to try and like steal the rewards from under your nose, as it were. Um, so that sort of ended up over about a year of sort of back and forthing on how to work it, being the predominant way of sort of solving that issue. And then we've we've shored it up a little bit, and you've got all the usual things of like having effects that can interact within the quest phase. Um, but at its, at its core, the mechanic of allowing you to do a thing that pushes you towards winning and allowing your opponent to come and interrupt it was the, that was sort of like the, the solution, as it were. Um, it was funny because we were looking for, when we were looking for other games, we looked at like the big ones and some of the other small ones and some from way back that we've played, like Legend of the Five Rings and stuff like that. And again, it was all very combat focused. And it was only after we um, started getting other people to play this and putting it out there that people started um, comparing it a little bit to the system in the My Little Pony CCG, something we hadn't even thought of looking at. Um, but it turns out they've got a system of um, where it's My Little Pony, friendship is magic, combat isn't exactly something they want to push into. Uh, so they've got a system of tackling problems um, and sending people to like do that. And it turns out that's, that's it's relatively similar. So it was kind of a nice feeling to see that in a vacuum, another company who wanted to make a non-combat oriented TCG came up with a solution that isn't a million miles away from what we ended up doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a pretty popular game from what I've seen, uh, just kind of browsing TCG player and stuff like that. Um, you know, you see, uh, you know, Magic and Pokemon and uh, Flesh and Blood and My Little Pony CCG. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, you look into the mechanics of the game and it's a, it's a fantastically designed game. Um, and, and just, you know, to your point, it's, um, you know, it's also kind of based around the theme, right? You know, they don't want, uh, they have the universe kind of established already. They don't want to just throw combat into the mix just, you know, because that's what's popular. Um, 
so yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, you know, especially that you're talking about going with the, um, quest mechanics of, okay, I'm going to try this challenge, but then my opponent can essentially try the same challenge, which is kind of like indirect, but nothing's getting like destroyed. You're just kind of competing for the same resources being, you know, your renown. Um, but I think, you know, seeing how your game plays out and seeing other similar games, um, how do you, how do you design around what may be a problem in terms of, uh, maybe too many cards on the board, right? So if, if you're not attacking things directly and they're not getting destroyed or removed or, you know, anything like that, how do you kind of design around making sure your board doesn't get too complicated or it, it just doesn't become this big, um, unfeasible thing that you have to manage throughout the game? Um, coming largely from Magic, I'll say that I don't think that um, boards being like large is too much of a problem. Obviously, it can get too big, and that can be unwieldy. But having um, a fair bit of stuff out and having like little engines on the board and a bit of complexity, I always think feels quite nice. Um, I'm a Demir player, so I'm obviously going to say that I like my combo, I like my control. Um, but in this case, um, because the quest mechanic is so integral to the way the game plays and is in most cases, the primary method of winning. Um, we wanted to make it so you couldn't just go all out and absolutely like fill your board with stuff for it. So uh, in keeping with the sort of flavor of the game, uh, adventurers, they exist in an area called the tavern. And uh, in the flavor of it is that the tavern gets full and you've got like five people in there. So you can have five adventurers at a time. Um, and then that's it. The tavern's full. There's no more room in the inn kind of thing. Um, and that's our way of stopping uh, quests from becoming too clogged up. Because if you could do as many as you want, you know, you end up with 15 adventurers in your tavern. And then no one's ever going to go on any quests. And no one's going to be bothered to do the math to see if they actually can. So setting it at five makes you have to think about what adventurers you're recruiting. Because if you recruit, um, you know, too many weaker ones early game, you will need to get rid of those before you can play your stronger ones who are going to try and close out the game for you or give you good power to contest your opponent's uh, adventurers. And it's the same for them. You know, they don't want to clog up their one with too many utility adventurers if they think you're going to be trying to quest quite quickly and they want to be able to actually like, do something about it. So limiting the number of like game pieces you can have for that core mechanic uh, is one way of doing it. Um, and it's the way we did it. And then when it comes to the quests themselves... Um, each player can only have one out at a time. Um, the game is primarily made with four players in mind, but can easily be played with two or three. Um, it scales up quite nicely, where more players just means more quests on the board, and whilst more people want to go to them, each player is bringing an additional quest with them, so it never gets to the point where, you know, all the quests are super, super contested because everybody's still got the limit of five things. Yes, you can do as many quests as you want a turn, but you know, with only five adventurers, it does limit you on how many you can reasonably like, try to do. Um, so that kind of controls the questing area a bit. Um, you do have the added complexity of being able to use stratagems from your hand. So uh, you know, all the interaction that comes from having the secret cards in your hand that you can use to disrupt your opponent or buff yourself or do all the usual surprising things that you do in combat kind of carries over to this. Um, outside of that, <clears throat> uh, when you've got your city, there's no limit on how many workers you can have in your city, but with a game that has, um, such a focus on building up your city, there's removal on all sides for it. Um, you'll want to focus on building little engines up in your city, but you probably won't want to clog it up yourself because by doing that, you're kind of limiting yourself on what you can do to stop your opponent. Um, it's good to have a lot of stuff on your side of the field, but it's, in all of our game experience, it's kind of hard to really, really overextend without your opponents wanting to step in and sort of do something about it. Because again, it comes back to the interactive element of if your opponents aren't prepared to deal with you, then you're just going to win the game. Um, so like, no matter how hard we've tried in testing to sort of go hard and absolutely fill our board as if we were some mad token-generating Selesnya deck... Um, you can only go so far before the opponent's are like, right, we've had enough of this. Um, we're going to put a stop to that and start dealing with you. Uh, one of the, in fact, one of the archetypes built into the game, because there are four of them, uh, very specifically has good ways of making sure that players don't sort of go off in that way. Um, so there's a lot of that sort of built into the game to sort of self-referee it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's interesting that there's, um, you know, the 
you're expecting the players to kind of limit their opponents and you're not putting in, um, you know, too restrictive, um, you know, kind of boundaries in the rules themselves. Um, you, you've built that into the mechanics. It'd be kind of like in, uh, I suppose when you're saying it like that, it's kind of like in magic, you know, you could have somebody could go off all they want, like a nice fast aggro red player can make all the tokens and fill their board of creatures all you want, all they want. But if they kill you because of it, then you are somewhat at fault for not dealing with it. Like, you know, if you let somebody go off and make a crazy board, then it's not just like, it's not that the game allowed it. It's also partially that you didn't do anything to stop it because the tools are there. And I feel like it's like, a, it's, everyone's kind of involved as well as the game itself making sure that it doesn't spiral out of control but everyone's kind of involved in policing game boards and states to make sure that someone doesn't just have the time of their life and steamroll everyone <laughs> right and and often you know we see uh, you, you know you're talking about kind of like players calling other players and then not being uh, kind of artificially limited by the rule set them you know the rules themselves um a lot of interaction that we see in card games is during you know the battle phase or combat phase um you have magic who you know the, the stack being very popular of like okay i'm gonna play this i'm gonna play this and then this is gonna happen or chaining or you know whatever it's described in other games um so because there's more of that spread out throughout the turn um it was it important to design the game with something like the stack in mind or chaining or is it something where hey i'm going to play this card and i'm allowed to do this um you know without there being much other cards being played to tie it up and resolving and all that so what kind of direction did you guys feel like you guys went um in dealing with those kinds of things i think that if you're designing a card game one of the best things you can do is look at magic and realize why the stack is probably one of the best things in the game that every game should be looking at and uh magic the way it handles player priority and the way that the stack works are two of the best things that any trading card game can take inspiration from you look at in my opinion on the opposite end you look at Yu-Gi-Oh and how chaining works uh and i think that is a very restrictive way of doing it uh, when it comes to player interaction um obviously the stack you can add to it at any point priority passes around players and anyone can do it. it's kind of like going in on poker isn't it where everyone gets their chance um having it on Yu-Gi-Oh that you know you can change something and then the speed of a spell needs to be higher and higher to continue doing so and then it reaches its limit and then when it's resolving nobody can do anything until it's done i feel like that's more restrictive on sort of game design um, I like the idea that you can let people do things and then after a certain period's gone, you interject with your answer. Um, and, you know, you can wait to see what other people do, especially in a multiplayer setting where this is like you know aimed at four players, being able to see what other players are do and then sort of going, do I want to do my thing now or do I want to see if someone else is going to react and then react to them knowing I'll have missed my chance? Otherwise, um, I feel like we absolutely looked at the stack and how magic does its priority and use those as like core core things in our game as well our um, priority works you know basically the same because why wouldn't you and the way that our um our action queue works is very much like the stack where anyone can just sort of jump in if you've got priority and add things provided they're the appropriate quick effects um and i think that when combat's involved, you absolutely need that. But any time that you want to force player, not force, any time you want to give players the option for interaction, you need to have that mechanic of allowing people to join in at quick speed. Otherwise, you know, you're you're cutting out an entire chance for them to interact meaningfully with the opponents. If you didn't have the opportunity to play instance during combat, you'd be losing out on a whole area of magic card design. And I feel like uh, it's similar here. If you are questing, if your opponents can test, you know, when it comes to seeing who's going to actually be the one to do the quest, anyone can join in with your quick effects and that can really change the way things play. Um, you know, you'll always get suspicious if you go on a quest and then your opponent sends a party in who's weaker than your one and you're like, well, this is a bit weird. What's going to go on here? And then, you know, they've got answers and then, but you were bluffing and then you've got some stuff to throw in as well and it's not as bad as it seemed. Uh, absolutely, all that is perfect. Um, you know, we have taken huge inspiration from those areas because they are the best thing that I think every card game should be looking at when it comes to that. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, and that kind of ties into your explanation of, um, you know, player interaction. Um, obviously there's the stack and there's priority and things like that. Um, but, you know, allowing those things and, and then looking at how magic does it and kind of, um, you know, utilizing some of the things that card games have already done very successfully um, allows you to be more fluid with your design. And it also allows you to, to have more of those interactions. Um, and I know you said some of the challenges were that, and obviously not having combat, um, is finding ways to bring that player interaction in. Would you say there was any other big challenges that you had in designing a game, aside from player interaction, that having no combat kind of brought to the forefront when trying to solve some of these design problems? An interesting one that you don't necessarily think of when you remove uh, such a core element as combat from a game is how it impacts all of the sort of like the weight and the value of the cards you create for the game. Um, again, going back to like Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic, something like that. Um, if you remove combat from those games, then creatures now have like no innate value. You can't create like a vanilla creature. Um, if combat isn't there, um, all your removal spells suddenly lose a lot of their um, their power and that you lose areas to like design cards into. So you need to have something to replace it. I feel like as long as you replace combat with something quite strong um then you can build it in a way that still has the interactivity um when we did the early game and didn't replace combat with the questing system or anything the big problem with the game was the lack of sort of space to design cards that did much um where the floor of the game was play buildings aim to get to a certain amount your opponent can interrupt you um you know there was very little to design cards around. It was interact with your opponent's buildings, stop your opponents doing their effects. There's nothing else in the game. Um, so you need to find a new mechanic, like a new core gameplay driver um, to build around, and one that's got enough complexity that you can then start integrating like new mechanics that, inter, that sort of interplay with all of the things that this new section of the game does. So, uh, for instance, when we were doing this, the questing mechanic sort of is built around quests being the thing that you are going on and adventurers being the cards that you send on the quests. Uh, initially, we had it so that you had your quest deck, um, which everyone would bring with them. And that was the communal kind of thing everyone could go for. And then you put your adventurers into your main deck and then you drew it like a normal game. And, you know, you could play your adventurers, you could play your workers, you could do what you wanted. But it came to the point where Questing being such a core part of the game, like realistically, pardon me. Realistically, it's the thing you should be doing the most to win the game the fastest. Um, it's the best way of gaining renown. You were at the mercy of actually drawing into your adventurers to get there. And games would go by where, oh, I've built a really adventurer heavy deck. My focus is questing. You draw your opening hand and you don't see any adventurers and then you only see one or two over the course of the next five or six turns and you've just had a terrible game um so we were like right that's no good because that is really weakening the core mechanic that we're bringing to replace combat and if that's really weak and doesn't work properly then why are people going to bother so the solution we came up with was the adventurers had their own deck um it's a limited deck of up to 15 cards. Uh, you build that along next to your main deck. And then uh, every turn you have the option of drawing. You don't have to, but you have, as well as your normal draw, you can draw a card from your adventurer deck. And this means that no matter what's going on in the game, you will always have access to an adventurer. Um, obviously, it's going to be random which one you get, um, but you know, you're know you building your deck, so you'll make sure that you put stuff in there that's going to be useful. Uh, if it's something bad, at least it's something... Well, not bad. If it's something that's not useful at the time, you know, it's only a 15-card deck, so it shouldn't be too much longer until you do see the key pot, the key points that you want. Um, but having that as its own deck really sort of, like, made it so that the questing worked a lot better. You always have access to getting your adventurers. You can always go on quests, or at least always have the tools to go on it. And then um, the main deck, the uh, expansion deck, 
that one is now only filled with the stuff. It's got your buildings, which are your resource. It's got all your stratagems, which are your spells that interact with your opponent. And it's got all of your workers, which are the alternative way of gaining renown for your city. Usually a bit slower and not quite as uh, impactful as questing, but a very good way of like building up engines in your city um, to gain renown or to work with your buildings to toil for other effects. And having the distinction of going, here's my one deck that focuses on one thing. Here's my other deck that focuses on the other core thing that gets me to my win condition and they both work separately and you can build them you know you can build one to be stronger than the other one just to focus on contesting um it means that the questing was always relevant uh and that really was the sort of big thing that made it all suddenly work uh but that was quite a challenge to get there. As I said, once we incorporated the questing element into the game for the first time, it was a good year or so of tweaking things and testing things and coming up with, oh, maybe we should put this in a new deck. Maybe we need to change the numbers you can have. Maybe you need to draw more than one card a turn until we came up with a solution that sort of made it work and made it so that the mechanic wasn't sort of pushed to the background. And Because, you know, the last thing you want is... Uh, you bring out your game, you've got this great new mechanic, yeah, we've got no combat, you've got this other thing instead, and then there's a good chance in your game that you just never get to use it due to bad draws um, or something like that. Um, another interesting thing was because combat's usually killing your opponent, and obviously we're going for reach a goal instead, uh, that in itself had its own interesting um, sort of design around things that we came to. Um, one of the main reasons alongside the other ones I've mentioned that we didn't want combat, is um, I quite enjoy playing multiplayer-focused games, not just TCGs, board games as well. And one of the things that um, I don't like about Commander is that it's very easy... I think everyone who's ever played Magic Commander here has seen somebody be knocked out by Infect within two turns, three turns, surprise triumph of the Hordes has come around and someone's gone. being the person who's knocked out of that game early and then it drags on for ages afterwards is a big feel-bad thing when you're trying to sit around and play games with friends. Um, so having everyone trying to reach a goal means that no one is getting knocked out during the game. There is no way to be knocked out of the game early apart from you know leaving voluntarily for whatever reason. Um, so it was that made it super important to make sure that you could always play the game the way you wanted. The adventurer deck works well with that because it means if you've made your adventurer deck, you're not going to be sitting around unable to do anything, waiting for your deck to get the things it needs whilst your opponents are all going off and having fun. Um, Another mechanic, actually, that we've taken sort of to that end, um, along the same lines of wanting to always be involved in the game. Um, Versus System had a really, really good thing that I remember when I was younger, where each turn you put down your one resource and any card could be your resource. Um, So we've kind of used a similar thing to that. City building is the name of the game, so buildings are your resource and they generate resources. Um, No card that you ever draw is going to be useless, as you can put down any card face down, and it becomes, uh, we call it a slum, because it's very in keeping with the, the, the... the aim of building your city uh, and it will re- produce less resources but you can always make use of any card you draw um, you know nothing is a dead draw you'll always have something to do with the cards in your hand you'll always be able to draw resources you're never ever going to get a bad hand mulligan away some cards draw more and then be mass screwed for a few turns um, again Anyone who's played games will have had like like the mana screw situation where no matter what you do, you've had some games where you can't play for a few turns because you've drawn one land and you just don't draw anymore. And uh, yeah, we didn't want that either. We want people playing the game. Like you sit, you sat down to play a game with friends or strangers and you actually want to play the game. You want to have a good time. You want to show people what your deck's doing. You want it to work well, and you don't want to be sat there unable to play your cards, unable to find the things you need, unable unable to produce the resources, or getting knocked out early and then unable to even play the game. Um, so all of those were things we sort of had in tandem uh, to consider and sort of bring in based off the fact that you're building up, you're not knocking people out. The quest system needs you to have certain game pieces, you need to be able to afford them, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not focusing around combat and, um, again, focusing on, on all these other areas like you talked about. Um, does does the, you know, the idea of, of starting this design, knowing that you're not going to have combat, does that present any 
design opportunities? Does it make it easy to make certain decisions saying, okay, you know, this, the combat isn't a part of the game, so we can focus on these other areas or um, other aspects of the game that aren't um, as, I guess, in the, in the spotlight in other games. And, um, you know, how does that, you know, aside from the challenges, how does that make certain things easier when working through your design? Uh, not having combat as the main focus, um, because it's, uh, you know, we tout it as like a city building thing. You're the mayor of city, you're placing down buildings, workers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it allowed us to focus on the city building side, like the flavor of that a lot more. Um, buildings, uh, you've got your basic ones that just give you the resources, but a huge portion of the buildings in the game have like effects that require workers to toil to do the effects of the building. Um, so not having combat as the key game mechanic to win you the game allowed us to focus, I guess you'd say it allowed us to focus more on the flavor of the game that we wanted to push forward, rather than having to focus on the fact that games were going to be decided purely by the combat. Now you can, you know, you can win your game. You can win your game without questing if you want. It'll be more difficult, but you can focus on just building a city where you've got a nice, efficient bunch of workers who are producing renown, who are toiling away in the buildings and getting you nice, advantageous effects. Um, and then you don't have to worry about, you know, you still have to worry about interaction, but you'll probably worry on um, doing like protection and stuff like that for your city rather than focusing on de defeating your opponent. Um, so, yeah, it allowed us to focus on the other areas and where the world building, like the law, the uh, like the feel and the flavor of the game was a, another one of the big sort of core tenets from the start of it. Um, not having the combat means we could focus on those bits a bit more and sort of make them shine. Uh, one of the things that I feel the game does quite well is none of the sort of game pieces or the um, like the mechanics of it are particularly abstract. It's all very you can see a thing and you can sort of tell what it is. This is a building. I know what it does. This is a worker. They work in the buildings. This is an adventurer. They're going to go on a quest. Oh, a quest is a specific thing. Like, you know, there's a there's a trouble somewhere that someone needs to go and deal with or something like that. Um, it's all very... And then even the schemes and the stratagems, they're all very obvious as to what they are. You know, it's all, it's all flavored very much around like things you would do as a mayor or things you would send on people to do. Um, so it definitely allowed us to focus more on the flavor first aspect and make the game very easily accessible. Again, the tavern being where the adventurers are and it being full, it's a very easy to visualize thing and makes it a lot easier to remember this is where the adventurers are. I can only have so many. Um, that was something that was a, it was quite nice to be able to focus on there when not worrying about you know, the sort of combat and all the mechanics around that. Mm hmm and you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, you already kind of had this idea in mind to have the game without combat, um, you know, it being something different and, and being something that you um, felt hadn't been done a lot before. And it kept the design fresh and, and, and gave you a lot of different, um, a, a much different amount of design space to work with. Um, and I know you said that you ran across, um, you know, the My Little Pony CCG, I think after the fact, and, um, you know, again, designing this game kind of before this boom uh, took place. So you didn't see as many of these uh, very different ideas that we're seeing now. Um, but given the other areas of the game, given the other mechanics, what parts of other games did you feel very inspired by um, to kind of complement the the design without combat uh the main one in terms of the victory condition of the game as i've already mentioned keyforge was sort of the big inspiration for that uh the very first iterations of um when we brought the quests in and you had to do your wing cons we actually had a very similar mechanic to forging keys where you were building like monuments in your city and every renowned threshold would get you a monument and it made it harder for the opponents to disrupt like your way to victory because if you reach certain thresholds you'd consolidate it all into one um so keyforge was very sort of instrumental in the first stages of making a game where you were building towards something uh, but we ended up dropping that because there were various reasons behind it um but ultimately it wasn't sort of the way we wanted to go with the sort of level of interaction of preventing your opponent winning or um you know again going back to the you can't get knocked out you can't deck out in this game 
Um, if you're familiar with Y Schwartz, that's another game that you can't, that you don't lose if you deck out, you just shuffle things back in. And you do that in this one as well. But you do lose a portion of your renown for doing it, uh, which means that sort of consolidating your renown into monuments didn't really work, as, among other things. Um, but yeah, Keyforge was definitely a good one for helping us find, you know, how to build around something you're working up to. Um, Y Schwartz and other Bushy Road games were pretty good for a few things. Um, the idea of not losing from decking out was I played quite. I used to play quite a lot of Y Schwartz. I did really enjoy it, um, but that limited itself on how it could progress in terms of like design space a bit. But I liked the idea of having a game where you could breeze through your deck and then just shuffle it back in and continue afterwards with a little bit of a penalty. Uh, that was quite nice. So we've taken that aspect from it, but also the sort of simplicity and the clearness of how effects are done on Bushy Road games. Like Vanguard, Y Schwartz, they've all got very easily noticeable symbols like that say like auto, act, continuous, and they're in like nice visual, visually easy to see boxes. So you can clearly see what an effect is. Um, it's not like, you know, getting your magnifying glass out to read a Yu-Gi-Oh card and then looking for where the semicolon is so you can check if it's cost or if it's like part of the effect. And, you know, that's, we definitely wanted to avoid that. And even these days, magic is starting to get to the point where you do get a lot of cards that have got quite a lot of stuff on. So making it clear um, and accessible to look at a card and then see like little symbols or little graphics that show what an effect is at a glance. Um, that definitely was heavy inspiration from the Bushy Road games. Um, when it came to the core mechanics of the game, um, all the quest stuff, as I said, we hadn't found anything else that really did that. So that was all very sort of our own thing. But Magic the Gathering, I think you would struggle to find a card game that didn't say they looked at magic and took a lot of like good ideas from there or a lot of inspiration from the way they did things. Because, again... The basics of having like a competent resource system is a, you know, magic was one of the first things to do that. Uh, the way the stack works, the way priority works, that's all being perfected by magic. Uh, a look at the rule book and how that's all laid out um, gives you like a good basis to, even if you do it differently, adapting that. It feels like it's going to be pretty essential unless you're doing quite a radically different game um, because it's just so competent and so easy to sort of understand and intuit. it. Um, also, uh, the way <clears throat> our game works is the resource system is a, a generic resource. It's not like, uh, you know, you have your colored lands that produce mana like a magic. Um, although there are four attributes in the game, the buildings themselves produce a, a generic resource. It's called solar. It's the, the currency in the world, so it's easy to visualize. Um, but the way that we've made the deck construction be sort of locked in is that your mayor, your assistant mayor that you select... Um, which is akin kind of to your commander, took a bit of inspiration from there, um, that locks you into the attributes you can use. So there are uh, mono attribute assistant mayors and dual attribute assistant mayors. Um, and whatever attributes your assistant mayor are, that's the card you're allowed to use in your deck. So if you've got a power assistant mayor, you're just using power cards. Uh, if you've got a power and mysticism one, you can use both of those in your deck. Um, but it was the way to stop people just piloting, um, you know, all four attribute good stuffs kind of thing uh, without restricting the ability to play cards due to, again, you could argue it's kind of like being mana screwed by having the wrong color mana. Um, it was another thing we wanted to avoid. So we took like the good bits from uh, the commander restrictions but removed the opportunity to mana screw yourself by making the resource generic, but the commander just sort of like lock you in. Um, so they're probably the main ones. Um, I do wish we had found the My Little Pony CCG beforehand, because I would have liked to look at that and like, it would have been nice to say, oh yeah, we also got a bit of inspiration from that. Or uh, I think somebody else mentioned it was the, what was it? The Stargate SG1 trading card game that I didn't know existed. Apparently that, is pretty similar in some senses. So it would have been nice to have found these things beforehand. Um, but I'd say uh, probably Magic, Keyforge, and the Bushy Road games were like the big inspirations or the big things that we looked at and drew from. In fact, the, the fact that it's primarily a four-player game is partially because the commander's, you know, kind of fun. Um, but the city-building side of the game, uh, what would being the mayor of a city be without politics like politics in a two-player game 
you can't really have it because what do you possibly have to offer your opponent to stop them from like screwing you over like they need to do it because it's 1v1 but in multiplayer uh, it's very it's very fun and flavorful to be able to have four people and as a mayor be able to try and negotiate or politic with an opponent to you know help you out or to help screw someone else over or this that and the other um so yeah commander was pretty you know it was it, it's pretty good for that so we took some of the aspects of trying to promote uh, interaction between players outside of just what the cards do right yeah and so <clears throat> you know with that you know with with kind of getting those those inspirations um drawing on uh some of the games that you you've enjoyed but also some of the games um or some of the the theme of the game and, and kind of you know making sure that all works um <laughs> Got my dog barking in the background, of course. Someone just happens to be walking by just at this moment. Um, but the, you know, what are what are some maybe some final thoughts on anybody thinking, okay, yeah, I'm tired of I attack you, you attack me. We're trying to get the first person down to zero. Um, maybe not even necessarily building towards something, but just something away from the traditional formula of, of combat um, and fighting in, in card games. What is... What is something that you would tell a designer who's who's maybe just starting, right? They're starting their design process and like, okay, I don't want combat in my game. You know, what what is a, a piece of advice you could give them to to kind of work off of? I absolutely think that um, it's very easy. I, it's very easy to fall into the traps of like doing combat because it seems like it's the thing to do. You know, all the card games do it, so it's like part of the the process. Um, I think that there's a lot of scope for designing games that don't have combat as a core element. Um, when we were, when we did this, there were some other ideas that we had that we didn't flesh out. Um, but I think that if you don't want combat, because, you know, combat is good. There's a reason all the card games use it. Um, like most of the card games use it. It's a very good, effective, and often flavorsome way of portraying what's going on in your game. So first of all, I'd say if you aren't going to use it, um, have a good reason not to use it. Uh, in our case, it was a mix of wanting to do something different just for the sake of doing it. Uh, but then as time went on, it was also, well, we've got a we've got a reason in terms of like the world, the law, the story behind the game itself, um, why it doesn't really fit to have combat. Um, and once we decided that, there was sort of no going back. So I'd say if you didn't want combat in your game, one of the uh, first things to do is justify to yourself why exactly you don't want combat. Because it is hamstringing yourself a little bit. You are going to have to work a lot harder to find um, the other meaningful methods of interaction between players um, if you're not going to go that route. So, yeah, have a good reason for not doing it. Um, I feel like you can take combat in a lot of interesting ways that would, like, spice it up a bit. Um, you know, already you've got the difference between, say, you go and Magic, where you can either attack your opponents, choose to attack your opponents' things, or attack them directly, or they get the choice, like the opponent gets the choice in some cases, um, or you've got things like Digimon where blocking isn't even a thing half the time because you need a Digimon with blocker, if I remember correctly, or what a defender, I can't remember what the keyword is. Um, and then, then you've got things like, you know, do you have your life points? Do you have, not that I'd recommend it, like your deck that is your life, like life decking, not a big fan of that. Do you have like a prize system like uh, Pokemon or... Um, do you have like Y Schwartz where you've got your clock, which is kind of life decking halfway, I guess, because it does eventually disappear back elsewhere. Um, there's lots of ways you can flavor combat in ways that aren't just knock your opponent's life points down to zero. Um, so I think that first of all, see if you want to find a way of just like changing that. But if you definitely don't want to do that, uh, yeah, you've got to think of why you don't want to do it and you've got to find a way of I don't know. I'd, I'd say try and make it flavorful. Um, we were struggling to think of something good until we thought of what would be flavorful for why there's no combat. And that led us down the solution we had. It sounds like My Little Pony did it the right way because, again, no combat. What is the sort of what's the cause of strife in this world? What is the cause of, um, you know, between people, what gets people like annoyed or what gets people like combative in some way? Oh, it's problems in My Little Pony. You work together to solve problems. So again, very flavorful for the game. And that's clearly what drew them to design that as the solution. Um, key forge, forging keys, you know, again, like, you know, you're building up something. It's in the name of the game. So 
that would be the main thing. Uh, and it's important that you can absolutely find ways of building the rest of your game to take advantage of it. Um, I still haven't played the My Little Pony CCG, so I can't tell you how they do that. I should do, really. <laughs> um, again, in our game, once we came up with what the concept was, it was then, right, how can we make the rest of the game interact with this in a way that's meaningful? And how can we allow the opponent to interrupt it? Because it's all well and good coming up with a way of moving towards an alternate win condition, but you still need to find the opportunity to allow your opponents to get in the way of it. Um, saying that they can just like throw spells and effects in there to stop you is all well and good, but you know, you're still then somewhat at the mercy of like the RNG of the of the deck. Um, until we removed adventurers from out of the deck, we were there as well. We needed to find another way to make it a bit more consistent, make it a core game mechanic that you could throw your cards in the way to like attempt to do the thing at the same time. Um, so yeah, justify it. Think of a good, you know, if you've got law to your game, think of a good law reason. Uh, if your game doesn't have that, then just think of like a, a good way for the game to flavor it. Uh, and then, yeah, find out how you can get the interactivity between players because that really is the key thing. If you don't have that thing that forces players to interact, then, you know, you're playing solitaire kind of. Um, I've tried to imagine it'd be like sort of Pokemon without the combat phase. Like, you know, nobody's got any interaction towards one another. So why not just build like a player versus deck uh, card game instead? Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and obviously it's successful. You know, um, I think it's such a core part of, of you know, the majority of, of trading card games. But, um, you know, having a game without combat and having it use a different system um, is obviously something that can work and work very well. Um, you mentioned My Little Pony, and then there was, uh, I think, Stargate SG-1. <laughs> uh, I think if you throw a rock or throw throw a dart on a, on a dartboard and hit like a random show, um, it probably had a trading card game at some point, you know, and trying to monetize it. But, um, but obviously, yeah, very, you know, it's a very interesting design space. And I think it's also got plenty of space to experiment with things that, you know, seeing what can work and what, you know, what doesn't, um, you guys obviously just came off a very successful Kickstarter with, you know, animal kingdom TCG. Um, so if you want, just go into a little bit of that about, you know, um, given the fact that you know you were pushing this game as a you know as very thematic you know city building and things like that but um how are you kind of leveraging the fact that this game didn't have combat in in pushing forward with this design and the kickstarter and everything a large part of leveraging the fact that it didn't have combat is very much like sort of the the law and the world building side of it um I said it's quite an important part of the project, but um, there's already, you know, there is a story that goes along with it. I used to enjoy the way that Magic had, like, the books that came with sets a long, long time ago now. Um, but I think that having more than just the game itself to draw people into it is a really important thing. So we've got, like, quite a large world and story built around uh, the game. All the characters um, and the locations and various other things in the game exist in an external story that's being told. Um, on the run-up to the Kickstarter, there was actually a prologue to it that went out. So I think it runs in at like close to 10,000 words. So, you know, if you like your, if you like your world building and you like the idea of the um, sort of like the world of Animal Kingdom, you can go and find out more there. Um, but there'll be more of that coming out and you'll be able to you know, if you come in through sort of that angle of liking the story, you might have characters you like, places you enjoy, things like that. You can find that in the game and you can try and build a deck that goes along with those characters and the things they do, or vice versa. You might enjoy things in the game and then like those characters in the story. Um, so that's like a nice little way of doing it. And we've got some other things that we're not going to mention yet, but go in with the expanding it just a little bit outside of like it being just a card game uh, and pushing on the the world building and the sort of other aspects of it. Um, in terms of the like leveraging the fact that it was different itself, that in itself is quite a refreshing change of pace for a lot of people. Um, being lucky enough to have my own LGS, uh, it meant that I've got, I have like access to people who are eager to play card games. Um, one of the, one of the best things about this whole thing was that I've got a great community of locals who 
saw that I was doing a thing and were very supportive of it and very eager to play test it, give feedback, give opinions, and sort of um, talk about what to them made the game interesting, um, if they thought it would be something that if they saw it, they would be interested in trying, why that would be, and just generally getting people, you know, when it comes to making your own game, testing, 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 playing, 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 feedback, data, all of that is the most important thing. So I was quite lucky to have a community of people around me who it was quite good to get that from. Um, and then going into the online sphere with the data that I'd got from them, the tweaks to the gameplay, the importance and focus on the stuff behind the game, uh, knowing what to focus on in what people around me liked about it, it was sort of easier to market those aspects of it to people. Um, and we've got quite a nice active community of people on our Discord now. And yes, those same bits are what people tend to grip onto. People like the lore. People are quite attracted to you know, the um, the artwork, the difference in the way the game plays, the, the points I've made about, you know, everyone's in it. Um, games can last like varied amounts of time, but nobody's going to get knocked out early and be sat out on the sidelines. Um, all of that has like all come from building the game to be different. And just, just being different by itself is a thing people seemed to have liked to look at when I was going to um, sort of like game design Discord channels and talking to other people just to, you know, be in a sphere with other creators. Um, lots of them were interested in looking at it purely on the fact that it was something different to your average thing. Um, the sort of indie TCG uh, boom that's been going on for a while and is still going on now, obviously lots of people are making card games. And as more and more people enter the sphere, if you don't do something to differentiate yourself, it's harder to stand out. It's the same with anything. Um, so by not having a traditional combat system, it was a point to draw people to us. It was a, you know, it was a question people would ask when they saw the product. Oh, no combat. Well, how does this work then? And that's like the hook that gets people in to look at your thing for the first time. And then when they, you know, hopefully find out it's actually really fun to play and not having combat pushes like a different kind of gameplay and the games feel different and all the other sort of benefits we brought to the game from it, um, it all sort of snowballed very well and it all came together. And yeah, you know, we had a very successful Kickstarter off the back of it, um, you know, exceeded our target several times over. Um, we've got a lot of people who play actively. Um, it was funny because when you start off, you assume it's going to be difficult to get people to play your game and then um, to come back and, you know, everyone's playing other games. So why are they going to come to yours? Having it feel different to the other games is such an important part of that. A big reason people kept coming back and playing this is because it's, you know, yeah, I play uh, various other games, um, but this one is just different in the way it plays. So I come back to it because I can't get that gameplay in the other games I play. Um, it, I can't really overstate how much of an important point it was that it being different is such a draw and such a selling point and such a good way of keeping people like into the game. Um, and yeah, we've got a tabletop simulator plugin that we made pretty early to allow people outside of just my local sphere to play. We've also got the printable decks for people too. Um, and we've got, you know, a bunch of players on our Discord server who play real frequently in there, which is nice. And more people are coming in and being introduced to it by the community. And I used to be in there quite a lot and the rest of the team did, like pushing people out to play. And now I think more games go on in there completely divorced from us than the ones that we host with people. Um, so yeah, and again, you ask most of the people who play, and it's the fact that it just feels different. It's just a you know a breath of fresh air kind of thing. Um, it's yeah, it's just so important. Mm -hmm. And so for people, so sorry for people who want to experience that and and kind of try out you know what a trading card game can be while you know maintaining those aspects of like opening packs, um, kind of having your rarities and, and things like that, but truly play something that's just different, that just feels different, you know? Um, you know, how can they find you guys? How can they get involved if they want to be part of the community or if they just want to check it out? Um, where would you say people can go? Go to our website. Uh, you can find the website at animalkingdomtcg.com. Uh, it's got links to everything on there. We've got all the usual social medias, you know, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, etc. But you can also find our Discord through there. And the Discord is a nice, active community. Um, if you've got 
tabletop simulator. We've got a nice plugin for you. It's got the four different starter decks and it's got a nice board set up. Um, so you can just literally download it, go into it and play. Uh, and there's a good chance that you'll always find someone in the Discord who's eager to do so. Uh, if you're more of a person who likes playing on paper, we've got downloadable print and play decks. So you can print those out, cut them all out, sleeve them up, um, take them down to your locals and, you know, bribe some other people to play with you or show off some nice artwork and tell them there's something different they can try. Um, really easy to entice commander players in, I'll tell you that. They like their four-player games. Um, so those would be the two ways to get involved playing. Yeah, go to the website, come join our Discord, um, join in, play with us. Uh, you can find the staff members on there you know, on the Monster Channel account. Just hit me up with a message. I am happy to play with people whenever they want, as are other people in there. And it'd be great to yeah, hear what you think of a game that doesn't have, follow the traditional rules of forcing people into combat and killing your opponents. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike, we heard a lot of interesting things about, um, you know, kind of your process and your team's process on on how to design a game around not having combat and, you know, kind of coming away from the more traditional uh, mechanics of a card game. Um, and so, yeah, just a lot of fascinating stuff, a lot of interesting things to think about, um, not necessarily just a bunch of challenges with designing these games, but also a lot of space, a lot of opportunities um, and, and areas to explore when designing games like this, or at least games without combat. Um, so just want to say thanks again for coming on and talking about this. Animal Kingdom TCG sounds uh, really fun. I've, I've looked into it myself. Uh, the Kickstarter did very well. And, you know, looking at how the game plays, if, you know, if you're, if you like anything like, uh, you know, city builders, like, like civilization and things like that, where you're, you know, obviously that has combat, but, you know, <laughs> uh, to where, where you're kind of like building yourself up and, and kind of creating these engines, um, uh, kind of like a deck building game, I guess. Um, but except you build your deck previous to that, right? So it's, we're kind of going um, into into some of those those feel goods from the deck building era um they definitely check this out but uh yeah once again mike just really appreciate you coming on thank you for having me so one thing i will say actually so a point that i don't think i brought up is um when it comes to um you were saying about like you know civilization city builders and whatnot uh one question i get quite frequently is um does it feel being a city builder game doesn't it feel very solitary with no combat as well like is it not just people building up their own cities and that's it but um you know it gives you the opportunity to design loads of cards that do sit in your city and give you engines and stuff but it's it's not really very solitary i'd, I'd say come into the come into the game and give it a go and um it, i could i could tell you all day long why it doesn't feel that way why there is a lot of interactivity in it hopefully you know, listening to what i've said so far will give you some idea as to how we've designed it um but that's probably the most common question just because it's a thing that is so different and sounds like it wouldn't have that. So I'd say, please do come and uh, come and give it a go, come and give it a chance. And you'll, you see why you can build like huge levels of interactivity into a game that doesn't have the tools you usually see to allow it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks for joining me again and uh, good luck with the game and uh, again, getting it fulfilled and getting it onto people's tables. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing hopefully you and some other people come in and have a game at some point. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Take care. All right. So that was Mike Taylor, the project lead and co-creator of the Animal Kingdom TCG from Monster Channel. Uh, and they just successfully funded on Kickstarter over three times their Kickstarter goal. So if you haven't already, go ahead and check them out. Um, the game looks to be something super interesting and super unique, so I highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, we were talking about um, just the different ways that you can approach a trading card game uh, from a design perspective in terms of not having your traditional combat. Obviously, you're, you're going to have your um, conflict between players. That's what makes it a game. But, um, you know, just not your traditional, like, I attack you, you attack me combat. And hopefully some new creators follow in those footsteps and create games that have some unique mechanics that um, aren't centered around combat. Um, now, there were some, you know, older examples of, of card games that did something similar to this. And of course, if you want to find those games, uh, there's no better place than Category1Games.com. Uh, their library stretches back all the way from the beginning where you have 93 uh, you know, magic all the way up, you know, through the big booms and peaks and valleys of trading card games. 
um, and, and everything in between. So um, whether it's just combat or anything else, you can look at the you can look at those games and find out you know what they did, what they did well, and um, you know take some hints and some of the things that inspire you from those designs and, and put them in your own designs. So again, that's category1games.com. And if you want to find more content from us, the Booster Pack Network, you can visit us at our social media handles at TBPN Content or our website, theboosterpacknetwork.com, or you can join our Discord um, where we try to have conversations about design and, and everything else kind of revolving around trading card games. All right. And if you want to reach out to me directly, my email is j at theboosterpacknetwork.com. And I'd love to take any feedback or suggestions for future episodes from you guys. All right. Well, that's it for me. Thank you guys for tuning in and I'll see you next time. <laughs>